Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The last time we had attorney Michael Kahn on the show, he just won a few million dollars from pop star Katy Perry. Kahn's client was a gospel rapper named Flame, and he'd accused Perry of stealing his work and turning it into her hit song, Dark Horse. Yeah, y'all know what it is. Katy Perry. Juicy J. Uh-huh. Let's rage. Now, Michael Kahn took that case to trial and won. A judge later threw out the multi-million dollar award. The appeals court will now have to decide. But the case of a thieving pop star is just the kind of riveting escapism you might find in a Rachel Gold novel. Rachel Gold is an attorney, and her legal practice provides a background for murder and other mayhem. But unlike a lot of legal thrillers, the details in a Rachel Gold novel actually follow the rules of legal procedure. And that's probably because Rachel creator is an attorney. And yes, in addition to filing lawsuits for his clients, Michael Kahn writes novels about a lawyer who files lawsuits. The 11th book in the Rachel Gold series came out last week, and joining us now to talk about it is attorney and author Michael Kahn. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's fun to be back. So like you, Rachel Gold is a lawyer, but she's not like you in one very big way. She is a she. What led you to make your protagonist a woman? That's actually a great question. When I got a dare from my wife, good grief, it's about 30 years ago, when she got tired of hearing me talk about these books that I picked up in the airport when I was out of town on different um, cases and I'd be unpacking, and she'd say, oh, um, I've heard of that book, what'd you think? Apparently, a lot of times I was saying, you know, it wasn't bad, Marge, but I could write a better book than that. And she finally, rolling her eyes, say, "Hun, why don't you either write a book or shut up? I said, what do you mean? I said, she said, I don't want to be married to you when you're 85 years old telling our great-grandkids you could have written a book. So I shut up for a long time. Um, I was a young lawyer in Chicago at the time. And then I decided, in, in my earlier life, when I was an elementary school teacher um, in Chicago, I had written some fun, um, really kooky articles for Chicago Magazine, and one was on what happened to all the dead dogs and cats in Chicago. That's a great topic. And Yeah, well, it was great. And one of the things that happens is some of them got buried in a pet cemetery. So I thought, well, you know what I'll do? I'll do a mystery. I'll have this young lawyer gets, you know, brought in by his law firm when a rich and powerful senior partner dies, and it's set up a trust fund for the care and maintenance of a pet at a pet cemetery, except, you know, nobody, he didn't ever own a pet, and his family didn't own a pet, and nobody had any idea what was in the grave. So I thought this is a great premise for a mystery. That's a really great premise for a mystery. I I now want to read that mystery. Yeah, it was fun. And as I've warned young mystery writers, know what's in the grave before you start writing that book because I had no idea what was in there and I didn't figure it out till about page 250 then had to go back and rewrite the whole book but anyway I started writing and my protagonist was a young male attorney at the firm and it was written in the first person well I was a young male attorney at this firm and it was increasingly becoming this sort of autobiographical whiny sort of mystery and um so I actually read some mysteries and realized that um, most of these protagonists were people who'd been part of some big organization, like the police department, 
but were now out on their own. So I thought, all right, I'll take this guy and put him out on his own, but it still wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was in court, and this is back in the in the early 1980s, which was closer to the Mad Men era than today. Anyway, I was in court, and this crusty old Circuit Court of Cook County judge absolutely humiliated this young female attorney. Hmm. Um, I was kind of watching in horror from the gallery, waiting for my case to get called. And she walked out. I could see she was fighting back tears. And it it bothered me the whole day. And then it, at home, I had this sort of epiphany, which is, no, my, my protagonist was going to be a young female attorney who'd been a rising star at this big law firm, but just got was bored and kind of got fed up with the big law firm life and goes off on her own. And I will tell you, it took about 10 drafts of those first 50 pages Hmm. before my female character came to life. Fortunately, my wife was was a woman. My mother was a woman. My agent was a woman. My editor was a woman. And after going through many drafts, Rachel came alive. And now I, I, you know, she exists on her own, and she's terrific. She, after that first novel, she moved back to St. Louis, where she's from, grew up in New City. After her father passed away, she wanted to be closer to her mom, and that's where she's been for the last 10 novels. And these St. Louis details, um, they're so rich. I think for anybody who lives in this city and is reading these books, um, you have her going to lunch at all these great St. Louis places. You know, she's going to um, Cafe Osage in this most recent one, where she has sort of a, a regular date there. Um, I feel like for St. Louis readers, these books take on this whole additional layer of fun because you get to sort of play spot the location. Oh, and you know, absolutely. When I was living outside of St. Louis, I would get the biggest kick if I saw a movie and there was a St. You, you could see the arch in the in the background, or if I was reading a book, and lo and behold, there'd be a St. Louis reference. And this city is such has such a rich history, and it's filled with so many amazing, you know, architectural wonders from different eras. And it's got the caves, and it's got these other um, elements. And I thought, what I'm going to do is, in every one of these novels, I'm going to try to feature, you know, one or more of these unique aspects of, of St. Louis. So that's been a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun for the reader. But, um, you know, in this new book, this is Bad Trust, she's also dealing with some really fascinating characters. Uh, Without giving away too much, just tell us a little bit about this guy, Isaiah. Yeah, he is your kind of classic, jerky, megalomaniac um, CEO of a company in St. Louis, made even creepier by the fact that he... um, he engineered several years ago a hostile takeover of this company that was at the time founded and run by his father. So he's now in charge. He's got two younger sisters, both of whom have some financial needs. They're in their 30s, and they're both, one is, one is a widow and the other is divorced, um, and their kids are heading to college. And he now runs this trust fund, um, which his father had established. And um, he's refusing to let any of these, you know, for his sister, for his niece's college tuition, he is rejecting requests from the trust fund for that and for other things. And it, these these two women have come to Rachel. They're outraged. And Rachel quickly becomes outraged. And that leads to her first confrontation with this creepy Isaiah, um, which, 
you know, no good follows from that, that's for sure. And that's the more serious of the two plots going on in the book. The second one involves a socialite, and it really felt like you were having some fun with this one. Were you mocking some St. Louis socialites? Uh, did you have anyone in particular in mind, or is this more the general socialite persona? You know, it's, it, it's funny. People will come up to me, no matter what novel it is, and no matter what the character is, to say, I know who that person is. And they will tell me, and it's always a surprise to me. It's, so they're I not really getting it nobody. right? Pardon? They're not getting it right? They're not figuring out who the, yeah, the real-life I mean, basis is? Yeah, I mean, I don't consciously put anyone that I've ever met into any of these novels. But, you, you know, you never know. Your brain is working subconsciously. Um, I cannot think of anyone in any, any of these characters that I would try to equate with someone I've ever met or known. Hmm. But, um, you know, they, they, they kind of take on a life of their own. And, and I've even talked to, you know, other novelists. And even if, they've, even if they take a character who they know and they've decided they're going to, you know, put that person into their book, they will tell me that by the fourth or fifth scene, that character's taken on a life of its own, and he or she is no longer like the person they were thinking of. Hmm. So they sort of become alive within the book, and yes. that changes them. I think right. where these books really work is that you understand legal procedure. You're an acting lawyer, um, a practicing lawyer. You know what it takes to get something admissible into court. You know about these rules of evidence. And it just lends this sort of real-life detail to these, where so many of these legal thrillers feel like they had a great idea for a plot, but they have no idea how things work in real life. Do you ever find, though, that that holds you back in your plots, where you want to go for a plot twist, and you realize, oh, I can't do that. That would never be allowed in court. That's actually a great question, and the answer is yes. Um, to the extent that you've got things going on in court, uh, you know, it's got to be believable, um, and it's got to be something that could actually happen, and you're right. I mean, and I'm not the only lawyer, the only trial lawyer who writes novels. Um, you know, Scott Turow, mm -hmm. uh, who I've known for years, I mean, he was a practicing attorney. He makes a special effort, and we've talked about this, to make sure that whatever happens in court could actually happen in court. But you're right, it does hold you back a bit. But, you know, as, I, as I've told people, there's a great old saying that truth is stranger than fiction. Mm -hmm. And it, people who write fiction, particularly legal thrillers, we are stuck with making things that are believable, even though crazier things happen every day in real life. I was just reading um, an article. There was a, some guy came to, this is a true story in New York, came to clean out his, his dead mother's apartment and he found a body in her freezer that now the, um, the medical examiner thinks has been in there for about 10 years. Well, if you put that into a novel, you'd have to be very careful because people would say, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Whose mother puts you know, a dead body in her, in her freezer. Or I'll give you another example from, from real life. I said, if you wanted to have a creepy congressman who was sending photographs of his genitalia to young women, and in your novel you decided to call him Congressman Weiner, 
I can guarantee you, your editor would say you're going to have to change the last name. I mean, you make an excellent point there. Nobody would believe that one. And yet, as you say, real life, stranger than fiction. Oh, yeah. I mean, my goodness. You know, I mean, there are, there are real life stories of like twins separated birth who then, you know, accidentally come across each other in a train in the middle of the French countryside. And if that was the final scene in your novel, the, the reader would just throw it across the you know, the room and say, this is the most ridiculous ending of all time. That's true, but it, so, it, it could happen. Yeah. yeah. But so that I do have to wonder in that case, I mean, here you are. Um, you're an attorney here in the St. Louis area. You won this big verdict against Katy Perry. I know it's under appeal. You know, it's being worked out. But is it possible we're going to see Rachel Gold take on some sort of entitled pop star? It just seems like such a good plot for her. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've been I've been talking to her about that. At this point, she says, no, Mike, why don't you deal with it, not me? But I'll see what she says later on. Rachel Gold does not want to take over that case. No, she's not interested at all. She said I, she, she, she told me she's way too busy. So one last question for you. In this novel, Rachel pulls off an incredible bluff in court. She basically tricks the other side into folding. I don't want to give away any more than that. But you as an attorney, would you ever do something that audacious? No, I don't think I would have the courage to do that. Um, it would be it would be tr- truly nerve wracking. I mean, she had you know in her mind she had no other option, mm-hmm. um, and she was going to try this. I mean, well, I guess she had other options, but this would be the, you know, the if if it worked, it would be the so-called coup de gras, and if in this case it did work. But you yourself, you wouldn't have had the guts to do it. No, I. She's she's much braver than me. Well, Michael Kahn, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Well, this has been a total pleasure. And it's funny, as I was listening to your prior discussion of that of, of the burning of the ROTC, I was a senior in high school at U-City. And uh, Mike over to was... Over you just in time to, to see that building catch on fire. Wow. So we've now had three eyewitnesses on today's show who saw the ROTC building catch on fire. This is quite a day at St. Louis yeah. on the Air. And, and Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And for readers, uh, Mike's new book is called Bad Trust. You can order it from local bookstores. Just a reminder, most of them are ordering curbside pickup or they're even delivering. And, and that's a great way to get your hands on Bad Trust. And that's by Michael Kahn. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.